There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second series of The Human Podcast, a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. The second series is dedicated to our very human stories of grief and loss, because when you dig down into the core matter of these experiences, what you actually discover is possibly our most unobserved and uncelebrated capacity for courage, resilience and love. Grief requires an expansiveness of self that stretches us to a fourth dimension. The extraordinary thing is that we can contain it, live with it, and that somehow the human heart can hold it all. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. So today's episode is very much a family affair with our guest, my brother, Matthew Mills. Now, apart from being my not-so-little brother anymore, um, Matthew, in his own way, is a trailblazing CEO of the Deliciously Ella business empire, the most loving and devoted father to his two girls, my heavenly, gorgeous nieces, Sky and May, and husband to our Ella. But today, we're here to talk about the love, the loss and our life beyond the death of our exquisite mum. (laughs) On the 24th of May, 2017, mum and I hung up the phone from our daily FaceTime. My baby was 10 weeks old. If I wasn't with mum, we'd speak on FaceTime every day, because whilst navigating the wonder and strangeness of new motherhood, I had returned to the unsanitised and boundaryless intimacy of her love. Because as a new mum, I needed her in a way I hadn't since my childhood. And as the sun was setting on this very perfect early summer's day, I got a phone call. It was a police officer who was with her in an ambulance being rushed to hospital. She'd suffered two huge seizures and was unconscious. Two days later we were handed her death sentence. An MRI scan revealed an aggressive brain tumour in the left side of her brain. We were told she may have 13 months. She died 11 and a half months later, on the 12th of May 2018, at home in our arms. Her diagnosis, dying and death for us, has been obliterative. But from it, new life grows our new life as a family without her. Learning to live without her has been a moment-by-moment process of restitching our own edges and understanding how we can and could be whole again. But whilst what has happened to our family has been life-defining for us, it is far from extraordinary, quite the opposite. It is entirely ordinary. Our experience of loss is a thread that tugs at the universal fabric of them all. And now, here we are, nearly three years since she died. And my goodness, our grief, our loss, and our eternal love of her has taught us so much. And so today, we want to spend this time with you 
to enable you to get up close to our experience in the hope that it can provide some comfort and orientation for anyone else feeling overwhelmed and disorientated in their new grief-loaded realities. Because whilst the stories of our grief are unique, I believe the language of them is universal. Now, Math, you know, whilst, whilst we are very, very close siblings, we are also very different in in lots of very brilliant ways, um, and you know, have have naturally therefore for dealt with the last four years, you know, both with Mum's diagnosis, her her dying and her death, and the and the life beyond in very different ways too. And um, but there is something about this this time of year um you know the changes you know the season changing in into spring which is for me is really triggering a lot of a lot of stuff and for sure it you know you know well month spring was mum's season you know it was um you know the optimism that she embodied was you know somehow mirrored in the world around her in spring and you know but it was also when she was diagnosed and it was the season when she died too um and I was just wondering you know do you do you do you feel that same sort of triggering of of memory of those experiences now and you know if, if so where, you know where, where where does that take you so I it, mum absolutely did love spring and the amount of times we would go for walks and in the country and Calpos would be coming out and um, that sense of optimism that she felt um, in the air at this time. But I think that it it doesn't specifically trigger anything for me with mum. I have, I have as deep and as fond memories about freezing cold evenings in the country um, or all at home together um, or on hot summer days, um, having lollies together and um, <laughs> so I don't feel like the seasons trigger anything for me with mum it's much more um, kind of event specific things that might trigger me rather than um, kind of a grander larger thing like a season. Well that's interesting because I, I really feel that and I I um, I mean you know just as that the daffodils start to come up and you know the leaves start to come out and and the birds start to sing earlier I get a very sort of sentient sort of almost like the muscle emotional memory in my body sort of taking me back to those times and um you know it's not um interestingly it feels different this year it does feel different this year it feels softer and it feels it just feels more gentle and I feel I think I feel more forward-looking this year than I have in the years before. I think certainly for me, the experience of grief could, at its most kind of all-consuming, kind of really um, took my kind of, I mean, not even my eyesight to the ground, but kind of wholly inside. And I and I don't feel that at the moment. I feel I, I do feel forward-looking, and it's and I'm full of optimism actually, which is a really 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 nice thing to feel um now math one of the one of the times in which i i know that we 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 kind of approach i think the first point at which i realized we were we were kind of internalizing and and walking the road of our experience in 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 different ways was you know, after that first summer when mum was diagnosed, the mum was diagnosed at the end of May, and then throughout that summer was just a kind of, um, I think we were all just in a kind of catatonic state of shock and heartbreak and just trying to uh, kind of assemble and, and integrate what, you know, come to terms with what the next year was going to look like, really. But even within that, I, I was... I was internally railing against the reality of what we were being presented with in such a such a huge way in a way that you know it was it was an all-consuming minute by minute experience for me that and I I really remember the moment when um I observed in you 
this very kind of profound step towards acceptance, which is the opposite of how I felt about what was happening, which was in the kind of September time. Do you remember when mum had first got her, had first, well, there was indication that a recurrence was was probably happening. Um, and I just... I just wondered if you could sort of talk to us a little bit about what that internal sort of change process was really from what was a kind of sense of fight really from all of us to a kind of greater sense of kind of what seemed to me like kind of real grace and sort of surrender and acceptance to what was happening from you. Yeah, so I think that I got two insights into how you can lose someone who you love with from the absolute deepest places in your soul and on that horrible night that we were both called by the police to say that mum had had this seizure I had mm. just arrived in Scotland to go play golf with three friends for, for for four days and yeah and I was walking to our hotel and I got a call from the police and um the way that they were talking and the severity of the situation, I wasn't mm. sure if mum was going to make it through the night. Mm. And so I scrambled home on the sleeper train, um, which was the first train I could get back from Edinburgh, back to London, which got in at five o'clock in the morning. And I think that was an insight into how horrendous it can be if death is just this instant thing that just happens and the shocks of yeah. death that can happen. When, as you know, when I was 17, I lost my first ever girlfriend the first person I ever loved um, mm. was killed in an accident in a freak accident and it was the immediacy mm. and the shock of that that still sits with me today whereas mm. and that was what was regurgitated with um, with what happened to mum then yeah and um, you know we had those awful few days at the start in the hospital where we weren't sure exactly what's happening and you try and hope it's it's not going to be as severe as it might be maybe you know maybe it could just be a stroke um instead of um, an awful brain cancer and then I think that after mum had had I I never throughout the whole period of mum being ill I never looked on google about brain cancers because I never wanted to go into that rabbit hole um mm -hmm. of what that could actually mean but what I was sure about was from what I was hearing from the doctors was that the standard care was that if, if you could um, be operated upon you, you are. And mum fortunately was able to be operated on. And I'll never forget um, when mum was operated on um, in Queen Square Hospital, I was holding her hand from when she had the anaesthetic and it felt like there were three outcomes from that. The operation was either going to go badly and she could die in that operation. It would be something where the operation could go, there could be a slight slip or something could go wrong and she would have severe, severe, severe disability for what could ever be the remainder of our life. Mm. Or it could go well and they could remove um, the vast amounts of the tumour that they could see. And fortunately for mum, that stage of things did go well and they managed to get out a large proportion of the, of the tumour but what I had really kind of reconciled in my mind from that point, and the doctors had talked about this key moment three months later, which was after mum would go through chemo and, um, and radio, which is the standard care, was that they would then do another scan in September. And if the tumour had grown back, mm. um, they couldn't operate again. And um, But if it hadn't, that was absolutely the best news that we could possibly get. Mm. And maybe there was more hope ahead for us. And ultimately, when that scan came back in September and the tumour had regrown, I think I began the process of accepting that mum was not going to be here for a very, very long time. And so my grieving really started in between September and, um, and from, from then on, really. And so... Yeah, I was walking down the street that September and I had this cocktail of things that had happened where mum was desperately ill and we were moving house and we had a nightmare with our house move and work was particularly stressful. And I was walking down the street one day and I, I've always had very, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've always had very stable, been very optimistic person, never had trouble with my mental health. 
And I was walking down the street one day to go and get lunch. Our office is in Soho. And I collapsed on the street, which is something that's never happened to me. Mm. I think just from the weight of stress and grief and sadness that I was feeling. And it was it was scary to me. I think it was scary to, to, to Ella and, um, and the rest of the family. And from that moment on, I decided that this thing could either break me or it could be something that I somehow have to use to be to make me a better person and for me to believe that there would be in some way in going through this situation which was by far and away the most difficult thing I've ever had to deal with in some way there would be some good in it for me and I had to you know the 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 future was in my mind and Mm. I had to control my mind to make sure that my future was as I wanted it to be and so even though I could grieve from that moment on and I could be desperately sad from that moment on, I had to do it in a way that would still be constructive to me operating the happy, fulfilling, purposeful life that I want to live and that mum wants me to live and mm. had always wanted me to live. And I made a conscious decision at the moment that I would internalise that and that I would that I would change my approach from then on and it didn't stop me grieving it didn't stop me waking up at four o'clock in the morning every morning worrying about mom Mm. and feeling desperately sad and yeah it's not to deflate the 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 level of emotion and the the depth that you go into when when someone that you just care about way beyond yourself and you see Mm. what's happening to them but at the same time it acted as a marker for me in that September um, between mum's tumour coming back and then that physical thing that happened to me that, that one, I had to have a level of acceptance and two, I couldn't let this break me because that wouldn't be constructive for anyone and, and, and it's not what mum would want. And mm-hmm. so, and that was, the, that was the approach I took on. And I think you then start go, to go through these waves of, of sadness and grieving and gratitude that that you emerge from and um you know the graph is very very volatile for a short period of time and then it starts to stabilize a bit and you start to um and you start to um you know you start to live with whatever that new normal is Mm. yeah i mean whereas i I think that your, your, your approach which was which was extraordinary and it's been what has um, created the Tessa Jow Foundation and, and gives us the ability to now hopefully transform brain cancer and potentially other cancers down the line is, is that your approach was you absolutely didn't have any acceptance at all and you decided mm. that you were going to fight this with absolutely every fibre in your body and that and I don't think you believed that it was going to happen to mum. And I think you lived on the hope that these frontier treatments that you were discovering and the, the extraordinary people that we were talking to would have, would be able to come up with the, with this kind of miracle that would, that would keep mum going. Mm. And I think that I, although I had great hope about those and they, they did provide some much needed optimism. I think deep down, I never really felt like they were going to fully turn the corner for mum. They may mm. just give us a tiny bit more time. And so I think that my grieving period started earlier than yours and it started from a different place from yours. Mm. Um, and, um, and I think that our experience of grief as a result of that has been quite different. And I'm sure that for any families who have been through um, similar situations, they will, there will be massive contrast in the way that siblings or parents or aunties or uncles or grandparents or close friends have dealt with the situation too. Mm. Um, but I think the most important thing for me and that what has to underpin it all is it has to be in however you deal with it, however difficult it is, however all-encompassing grief is, it has to in some way be constructive for you. And, um, you know, the way that even though your grief has been, it has been, has been visible, it's been, um, it's been very vocal. It's, you know, but by gosh, you've used it constructively because look what's now happening with the Tessa Jail Foundation. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I think, so Math, I think there's a few really sort of really um, important things you're saying here. Firstly, and, you know, and I, I can testify to this, which is that, you know, for you, you needed to be able to kind of um compartmentalize your grief but in a way that allowed you to still experience it and and without um squashing it so you you were able to kind of compartmentalize it with but not at the expense of feeling it you know yeah, look i think that we are by nature kind of compartment compartmentalized people i mean when i think about myself i'm a yeah, I'm very fortunate. I get to run a business. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a weekend golfer. I um, <laughs> and um, I have like anyone. You have all of these different parts of you, mm. and um, I think to me the only things that I found that sit as the best umbrella and overarching things of those that should always be constant our gratitude and presence mm. and um and those two gratitude and presence have to be constant throughout all of those different compartments of myself and I didn't want grief to be something that 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 got rid of all of those compartments mm. and just became the compartment and I think that you have to be and I felt like with myself particularly after that experience I had you know I collapsed on the, on, the, on the street was I was like I have to be disciplined with myself otherwise this thing is going to break me and mm -hmm. I didn't want it to break me and I knew that mum didn't want it to break me and so um I just tried to take a, a level of 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 discipline to it where I would absolutely not stop myself from feeling desperately sad and desperately grieving because I felt that that was a really important thing I had to do and that anyone has to do but I was not going to let this become an identity of mine it mm -hmm. was going to be something that I was going to handle and I was going to deal with and I was going to do it in the most constructive way that I possibly could but this was not going to be something that that was going to um destroy my life I didn't yeah I, yeah. And I think I think what you're I was about to say, you know, what were the kind of tools, really, the sort of internal tools you had to be able to create that sort of healthy compartmentalization. But I think you've you've just said it. It was it was gratitude and presence. And yeah, I you know, Jess, when I got into my the, the deepest kind of depths of despair with mum, it mm. was when constantly thinking is mum going to be here for a week is mum going to be here for a month is mum going to be here for three months six months a year two years and it was that constantly looking ahead of with uncertainty yeah. that really drove me into that initial hole and what I realized very quickly was that I have mum today yeah and 
this and so this is all I have this is all I can focus on so just do today the best you possibly can yeah and when you bring it down into very um, manageable bite-sized pieces like that and you have presence but then you also have gratitude for that for that day and Mm. that presence then I just felt this extraordinary sense of empowerment within myself that I could handle this. I know Mm. that this is going to be death, that there's going to be times when that presence is going to be desperately sad, Mm. but it always enabled me to believe that there was a point past that, that would feel better. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was that presence and gratitude. I learned so much throughout the, I think I matured more in that year and the year after mum passed away than in any time in my life. And it was just this, this deep kind of eureka moment of wow the things that can underpin me hopefully being the best version of myself I can always be is by being present and by being endlessly grateful for what I have and if I have those two things I think I can get through through most things yeah and we were kind of very much kind of taught that lesson on the job (laughs) you know we were we were, uh, we, we, we absolutely were and you know, mum was an extraordinarily grateful person. Mum mm. absolutely would always, you know, if we were having a good time, she would say, <laughs> oh, how great is this? And are we just having the best time? And she would make the best of all situations. And she, you know, mum grew up she used in to say, it's, difficult... one, it's one thing to have a good time. It's another thing to know you're having a good time. <laughs> exactly. Which exactly and, is, and... is a lesson, in, which is quite a, a profound it, lesson in presence, right? Exactly. And mum mm. grew up in quite a difficult environment. And mm. She went on to forge the most extraordinarily happy life and incredible career for herself. And she was just so grateful for that. Mm. And so she lived with endless optimism and hope and gratitude. And I just felt like I could, I I could and I should and I needed to make sure that I embodied all of that. Mm. But I think, I think for, for us, this kind of, this, this truly life changing sort of lesson and understanding of the, the importance of gratitude and, and presence really happened in those first sort of t- 24 hours after mum first had her seizure because we we went from a place of thinking we had you know at six, at six o'clock on the 24th of may we th- we were planning mum's 70th birthday we were looking to holidays the next year the, the the future and the promise of the future felt like it was something that was ours Within a couple yeah. of hours, we are faced with the reality that mum might not live through the night. And so yeah. very quickly, and then when she did emerge from that and consciousness did start to you know, return and we realised we hadn't lost her in that moment, the relative framework of gratitude and presence exactly. is complete, it was, was, I think, reformed in that very powerful relative way quite exactly. instantly because it was, if for me, it was, I don't, by that point the relative chain framework had changed so much to if we just have her for one more day that's exactly. that's better than the fact that we've we thought we lost her you know we thought we'd lost her for for good you know and so exactly. I, and I and I think taking that feeling through that year was it, it's and you know I think for our listeners listening today you know it really is one of the most profound tools to enable you to live day by day within an incredibly what can be honestly a torturously agonizing landscape with with presence you know with with love with gratitude and in a way that truly helps you to kind of keep your head above water you know absolutely Um, and you know grief is grief is all all encompassing but I think that the the one thing that I learned from it and this is something you just learn as you as you grow a bit older, you know, you you learn and that teaches humility, but mm. you you learn the extraordinary sense of resilience that you have as a human being yeah. and that is available to you as a human being. And you know, however, the thing that I always, I you know, I spent, I was a complete geek growing up. I used to go up to and stay with mum and dad the, we had a house in the country and we used I used to stay there every weekend because I used to play golf every weekend growing up and so I spent enormous amounts of time with mum and dad throughout my whole life I've been so incredibly close to them and the thing I always feared most in life was one of mum or dad passing away it was the thing that just what terrified me, me. <laughs> <laughs> 
joking. Um, and it just it, <laughs> it just it just terrified That's me. Sorry, the mum used to say yeah. that all the time. <laughs> what about me? No, yeah, yeah but it just it just terrified me and to know that you can then actually get through the thing that you mm. feared the most is a huge empowering thing um as um as a person and um you know th- the thing that is the other thing that you learn when you go through all of this is that you know death is our ultimate lasting reality it is mm. going to happen to all of us and watching mum um pass away in the beautiful way that she did I never talk about I don't say I never say now that mum died because it feels so it feels like it was it feels kind of abrupt and that that's it Mm. and I don't feel that mum died I feel like she passed away and that her energy didn't die it was Mm. just transformed and it came into us and it came into Mm. the the people in her life that she's whose life she made better um and but it is all of our ultimate lasting reality and um, realising how finite life is and seeing mum in those last few seconds of her life. And, and you know, you realise that we will all die. And so how do I make my life as worthwhile as, as mum's was? And mm. I think that that sharpened an enormous focus for me on making sure that in the time that I have, Mm. I I am present and I make the most of each day. Mm. I'm grateful and I realise how fortunate I am and I try and use that in the best ways that I possibly can. Mm. And that I I realise that, 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 that life is finite. I'm not going to spend my life grieving because I know that, I could, that we all have a limited amount of time. Um, mm. And there was an enormous lesson for that in me too. Yeah, I mean, I I guess the only the only sort of pushback I would I would sort of give to that is that I also don't think grief is something necessarily to to resist and to squash because I think there's extraordinary lessons and very kind of there's a kaleidoscope of different colours that exist within grief. You know, grief is not t- a wholly agree, bad yeah. thing. It's I it can be the thing agree. which supercharges your sense of you know, gratitude and presence and joy and love exactly right. as well as this, as well as the, 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 the darker shades. And I, su- I suppose what I hadn't expected was that really, really kind of kaleidoscopic richness of the different tones of the experience. And that I guess for me, which is why it's something that I, I, when it, when it really starts to kind of, when it starts to kind of really roar in me sometimes which it still does I kind of I don't push it away I I sort of invite it in really because I I suppose I've learned not I've learned not to be afraid of it absolutely I've learned not to be afraid of it because I think what you know in in stronger times and you know definitely is as as more time and and the kind of gentle thing that distance and time can do to your feelings I, I'm sort of able and, and I do try to look around with curiosity into, into the way that I feel in my body when, when I suddenly feel very, you know, um, kind of wretched with sadness again, which I, which can happen. And when you dig, dig down, down, down into the deepest, deepest kind of roots of, of what's at the kind of very pit of my grief it's it's my love it's love exactly for right. mum and, and that is the thread which truly is i believe the eternal nature of of living and it's where we are always connected to one another and i think that's why i'm able to kind of really hold and sort of invite invite that sadness in when it when it really when it really kind of rises up in me again because you know if I really sit with it I um they are also the moments when I feel most kind of intensely and viscerally connected to mum through that love again and um that's a that's an incredible thing yeah I think that's so right and I think the knowing that you can live alongside grief is is a very empowering thing and that, that I think that's 
you put it very well. And I think that's what I tried to learn early on in the process of my grieving, which started, I think, before mum had passed away back in that September, was that I would still be able to to be part of the person that I wanted to be whilst living alongside this grief. And then over time, part of that grief starts to dilute a tiny bit and you start to become more and more of of where you aspire to be. And um but as you say, it, it transforms. It and it and it yeah. it transforms and it morphs and, changes, and it yeah. and it, it it morphs and it turns into a a different type <clears> of grief and it and it, it has different levels of intensity. It has different level levels of of the way it expresses itself. Um, and you know the way that 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 grief and mum really worked for me is that I always just found that if ever I. Um, you know, comparison being the thief of joy was that if I tried to compare my life to something whilst mum was here, mm. then I it would always feel worse. And so I had to stop comparing mm. and I had to realise that I had a life with mum and then after mum passed away, I had a life where a mum wasn't life. here yeah, physically. Yeah. And, and accepting I had to that look, it's different, yeah. Com- complete. I had to look at them independently and I remember one of the worst days of it, of it all for me was after mum passed away, I took a month off work and the first day that I was back at work, I always used to call mum when I was walking to work in the morning Mm. and, you know, sometimes we would talk for 30 seconds um, and just say hi. Sometimes we would talk for 45 minutes depending Mm. on what's happening in each of our days. And um, it was that moment on that first day going back to work when I was doing my usual routine of walking back mm. and mum wasn't there for me to go mm. that I felt so horrifically empty mm. and that um and I couldn't and and I just felt this enormous 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 sense of loss because in in the immediate time after mum had passed away you're busy arranging the funeral and there's mm. so much happening and there's so much um, kind of nervous energy that you, that, that that you have, um, and it was that going back to reality, but then the reality being so unquestionably worse than what the re- the reality of my life had been before that hit me so hard. And it was it was through that experience that I really then I was like, look, I now have a new life, and I have to assess my life according to my this reality of today it cannot it cannot be as a comparison to before and you know that reality that new reality led you know several months later we got pregnant with um with our first little girl and I now have two girls who are the absolute center point of my of my being and um and that new reality I think was created from from understanding that would say the way you yeah, said but, that. No, no, but that's but, what I mean. It's the, it talking was, about the eternal it, nature of these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it was started because because of that, that it's a kind of a new life that you have to start because because those comparisons will only be things that will ever just grind you down. Yeah, no, that's really... Um, yeah, Matt, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, for, for me, um, one of the things that I wasn't prepared for after mum died was how grief and and loss this absolutely quantum loss um was going to redefine sort of places both places things that I did you know things which you know things that were unconditional suddenly felt unstable or places or things that I used to do that I loved suddenly became you know heartbreaking you know places that we used to go to that formed the backdrop of our whole lives now just felt like a really devastating sort of symbol of the past you know and it's and you know this kind of what you're saying you know this routine of you speaking to mum on the way to work it was like these little moments of the things which you always thought formed the unconditional sort of landscape of your life so many of those things suddenly come into question and are redefined in a cruel way or can feel like a cruel way by that loss but I think you know for for me the most kind of profound one of those was was in our family home you know and at Lower Farm and how I felt you know you know she 
you know, the house and that particular pocket of the world, you know, in in the Cotswolds have been the backdrop to our whole to our whole lives together as a family. Um, but then, you know, the house was the place where we went through that very, very, you know, agonising year. It was also the place that she died. And it was also the place that we couldn't have the life that we all loved and treasured anymore, you know. And so, you know, I... So what we decided to do just, you know, for our, for our listeners is, you know, very quickly after mum died, I think it became clear for us all that that was not going to be a place that we could be happy together in this new form of the family, in this new life anymore. So we, we, just, we sold the house quite quickly after mum died, which was a very, I mean, very, very difficult decision. It was letting go of a place, a house and just a part of the world that had been our kind of deep, deeply been our home for our entire lives but you know I think certainly from my perspective math and I think this this really echoes what you're saying that you know radical change actually in a life where a huge loss has happened just makes more sense it makes more sense you know staying or trying to live within the landscape of of the life as it was before that person died, it's just actually more painful than just accepting you're going to have to make big, bold, radical changes and just accepting that wholesale and just marching forward with it. And, um, you know, I, I, I really hear that in what you're, you're saying. And, um, but, you know, I think the thing that I hadn't been, well, the thing I really hadn't expected, which is, something which I think takes more time and it's a work in progress is this thing around how you know a big loss in the center of a very very close family also reorganizes the kind of architecture of how the family operates and this is something that I I've really felt over the last few years and I I think I I think you have in in a different way um and you've kind of you know you've 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 managed that in a very different way um you know Otty this is my my daughter was was so little when mum well she was 10 weeks old when my mum was diagnosed and she was 15 months old when she died and I you know after the particular we've always been a very very close family um but particularly after that year of mum being ill you know, we, 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 we literally were spending every weekend together and I think we did pretty bloody well to kind of to do that. You know, it's a lot of time to be spending all together when, you know, particularly under that, those circumstances and it, you know, and I think we did, we did so well. It was a very, very loving, very, very kind of very, very loving and supported time. But I really felt, and you'll probably remember, Math, this, there was a weekend when I just, and I realised I realised quite quickly after, you know, what I was craving was the thing, this sense of home that mum would give me. And it was about us being together for the weekend and the kind of, you know, all waking up together in the morning and breakfast and the just slow ramp, you know, the slow meandering of just being together without an agenda, no one having to get anywhere, which is what mum just created endlessly for us at home. And, you might remember there was that weekend math when actually when Hero was about six months old and we came, I was like, well, we should have a family weekend, but we obviously we didn't have a family home anymore. And I was like, why don't we come and, you know, I realised now it was just completely, I was it was a completely mad thing for me to, to do, but it was part of my pursuit of, I was searching for mum. I, I was searching for yeah. that feeling that she, only she could give me. And so, you know, we made this plan for me to come and stay at math's house with you know, with him and, and Ella and at the time they're, they're, they're just a baby Sky who was the same age as my, as Hero. She was about four or five months old. And, you know, Otty had a temperature. Otty wasn't feeling very well. Hero had a bit of a tummy bug. Finn couldn't come because he had to do, he had to work. So I piled all the girls in a cab and came over and it was, from, it was just stressful from the beginning. And I was stressed because essentially I was just missing mum and I was trying to come and find you all to sort of, I was looking for her basically and I was never going to find her there that weekend. And we had a very sort of sweet time, but then it all sort of unraveled on the Sunday and, um, you know, I sort of burst into floods of tears. I think you and dad were just sort of being how you are and being sort of 
like bantery about stuff but I just couldn't fucking handle it and I just felt I just felt absolutely beside myself with missing her because I realized the thing that I just needed that weekend was actually something that no matter how loving and devoted you both are you just are never going to be able to give me and it was just another moment but of- I do I do think it's an important point though for anyone who is in the in the support network of someone who has mm. lost someone is that trying to do little things like you know if if they have lost someone who always used to do a, a special thing for them at a certain time you have no idea how much it will mean to that person if you try and fill in a tiny bit of that hole mm. that, 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 that that they may feel and I think it, I learned so much from that time too and I think for anyone I know now who loses someone if you are able to to understand or grasp or pick up on something of of, of something that that person really meant to them and mm. something that they used to do for them if you just show a tiny bit of effort to um to show that you're trying to show that you can do a bit of that for them too yeah. it acts as the most enormous shock absorber for that no, per- for that person and you've done and that much, will... so much you know you've really that 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 weekend was was a total bloody disaster but i think it was always but we learned a huge amount no, from we it. did and i think it was yeah. partly because i came into it feeling fraught anyway i also had two tiny children and you know you know chronically sleep deprived you know all of that stuff but i was also still intensely grieving and i was coming i wanted us to be together to create something a feeling which actually no one else could no one else in the family could provide so it just triggered this whole sort of tidal wave of kind of re-triggering of that very very raw grief that she is gone and and no one else will be able to give me that feeling that a mum does but you know within that you know you you have totally been you've been honestly my biggest shock absorber throughout you know because you have math you know you really have and you've you know in my in my kind of rawest moments you know, just talking to you on the phone and just it, just that kind of timber of your voice, which has got the frequency of mum, both physically, but also just in your, like, just in your totally fucking limitless, loving way. It does provide that, it, it provides that continuity, you know, both in the practical sense, but also just in this more kind of transcendental way that we're talking about of the kind of eternal nature of how she is now through us, you know. And, um, you know, there was something you were, you referred to just a, you know, a little, a few minutes ago, you were talking about how it was when mum died and you, you referred to her death as being a beautiful death. And I'm so pleased to sort of hear you use that language because it's really not something that people, words that people use to describe death normally. Um, and it's certainly not something that I even knew was possible um before mum died I didn't know what to expect I was absolutely that you know one of the things that kept me awake at night every night from when mum was diagnosed was not just the kind of agony of the prospect of losing her but also what was going to happen you know I didn't know what was going to happen in 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 death and dying and what what would happen to her and certainly if I my god if I had known how gentle and how gentle and sort of sublimely the body can know how to die you know it's in the equal it's the kind of equal and opposite mirror of of birth you know 15 months previously I had witnessed this absolute kind of this totally mystical or inspiring thing of the body knowing how to birth you know and birth in you know really is I think, you know, birth and, and the way that the body gives birth and the way that the body knows how to die are kind of the equal and opposite of each other. You know, birth is the most profound opening and releasing of the human body ever and that that releases life into the world. And death is the most profound kind of knowing of the body to recoil and... To, to close entirely in, entirely in, into death and seeing that happen 
with mum and the way that you know death it kind of it enters the room in the way that birth enters the room and you realize that there is this thing which is happening beyond it's that it's kind of out in the cosmos you know it's it's beyond human control or reach and it's and it's and I know that for so many people you know the legacy of 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 a good death is profound in terms of how it enables them to kind of grieve in a kind of uncomplicated more less complicated way beyond and having a diff you know a, a traumatic death is is a very very difficult thing that presents a whole new layer of complexity to the way people grieve and it's you know when we talk about gratitude it is one of the things since mum's passing that I do feel so grateful for is that we were had this you know you know gift is a relative word in the landscape that we're talking about but the gift of this incredibly gentle and beautiful death that she had and um you know it's one of the most profound and, and important moments it's of my very life, peaceful you know being with her it, literally yeah. physically holding her ob- observing the kind of you know observing the courage of observing the courage that it takes to surrender and just really really seeing how love transitions in that moment to being the active thing to being the everlasting thing and um I wish I had known that more before um but it's like one of those things with birth it's like you don't know it until you go through it but um I really hope that that kind of bit of insight can be of help for our listeners because I wish I had known that yeah I became it it, watching mum mum passed away literally in in our arms and watching mum pass away certainly made me much less scared of death yeah um it is a it is a hugely it was it was a hugely peaceful peaceful thing that happened and the way that the body knows how to die in this yeah exactly the body the body is just programmed to it it's kind of it's weird the way it happens. It kind of efficient, efficiently shuts down. Yeah. And with mum, we, mum had had this um, enormous hemorrhage on the on a Thursday night and on um, Saturday, on on Friday night the doctors came and weren't sure if she would make it much longer at all. And on Saturday morning they came back and they thought she had, you know, maybe just a couple of hours to to live. This was at seven o'clock in the morning and. Um, we sat in mum's bedroom holding her hand and with her and this extraordinary home nurse who had come to help us. Um, Sarah. Sarah, exactly. And we had this incredible experience where we sat there for four or five hours just thinking that mum was going to pass at any moment. And she she kind of lived much longer in hours terms than, than she should have done and we thought she would, but no. At ten o'clock, Ella, um, our half brothers and sisters, um, Finn, Jesse's husband, came into the room where we were, and literally a minute later, Mum's breathing stopped, and eight minutes later, she passed away. And I can only think that Mum didn't want us to be on our own when when she passed away, and the profound sense that left with me about what death is and how you can die if you die with a life filled with love and with purpose and a life well lived but also the the you know mum was mum was in a coma but there must have been a sense of clarity for that time it couldn't have been I have such a difficult time believing that was just sheer coincidence no I know Matthew that I it know. does just it does just show how beautiful death can be and when mum passed away it was the most awful moment of my life, but it was also there. There, it was, it was a, it, it had a, a power to it that will, mm. that will stay with us forever. The thing I will, I mean, my God, this is, there's so many things I can would want to say about that time, but the thing that I will never, I just, I couldn't believe, was just how much courage it takes to surrender mm. you know the and just seeing that courage in her as she as she was slowly slowly with every breath surrendering to death and knowing that she was 
now on her way to a place where we we couldn't follow her mm-hmm. and and i think you know that transition or that you know understanding in the truest way how love then becomes the eternal thread between you and them happened almost mm-hmm. instantly because do you remember it was almost like an eruption in the room and it was almost like I mean, we all, we all just, we all just collapsed and burst into tears. But I remember Annie, our sister saying, she just felt this bolt of light of love blast into her. And it's how I felt too. And it was like this white light, which you can understand having been through it, how people, how, you know, you know, through religion, people understand, you know, talk about the ascension of the spirit and stuff like that. I mean, there are things that which you experience in your body which are witnessed to what's happening that you can't really explain with science or anything else i mean it's it's really into the fourth dimension and it's um yeah, yeah. you know and it's you know and as i say it's one of the things that you know going back to this thing of of gratitude it's something that i never knew i would be grateful for but you know having had the experience of that her death being as it was is one of the things that I will feel grateful for for the rest of my life. Because um, I think the legacy of of that is is huge for a grieving person. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Matthew, as we are coming towards the end of our time together, I want to ask you, what does courage feel like? Gosh, what a great question. Um... I think courage is the sense of doing something that you know that you can fail at and something that may either hurt you or disappoint you, but still having the the ability to press forward and the ability to accept the result and use whatever that result is Mm. to improve who you are or the lives of the people around you very good um that indeed i mean it's basically it's feeling the fear and stepping towards it not stepping away Mm. yeah 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 now math one of the things that we're asking our our brilliant guests to do this series is to bring something to the conversation you know in our pursuit to really try and build out a rich tapestry of language for this thing called grief. Um, you know, asking our guests to bring something to the conversation which has meant a huge amount to them, which has somehow articulated this thing for them in a precise and meaningful way. Um, and it can be anything. It can be in the words of another. It can be some advice. It can be something that you've read, um, something that you've seen in a film, anything at all. Sure. So so what are you sure. going to bring for us today? So when I was 16... I went to boarding school in America and as I alluded to earlier, I grew up in such a close family, had in this incredibly close relationship with, with mum and dad and the group of friends I had um, in England. And I moved to the States and I was desperately homesick for the first half um, of the year that I was there. And um, I had an amazing teacher and mum and dad came over and were with me and we went to see one of my teachers and we were talking to him and he said, you know, Matthew, he needs to start internalising the solution. And that was something that mum cottoned on to. Oh, she was, oh, I love um, that. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> she used to quote um, that a lot. And it was, yeah, she did. And it was a, it was a really important moment in my life and I, it stuck with me forever and I just always believed that the solutions to how I want my life to be, to how I can treat others, to how I can be, you know, I need to internalise the solution. I can't just sit here and just, you know, hope is not a strategy. And I think that in my experience with grief, that served me well because I wanted to internalise the solution of not letting grief overtake me and overcome me and cripple me. I wanted it to be something that... I could use as a force to make me a better person. And, you know, I, I feel proud to say I think I'm a better person on the back of the experience I went through than I was before. And 
Um, and I think that's because I internalise the solution. And I think that knowing that that is within my grasp and with, is within other grasps, that I hope is, is an empowering thought. Now, listen, in true human fashion, um, every episode we dedicate our conversation to a song. Now, I think we know we've both had a little chat about what this song should be. And I think we're under no doubts around what song is going to be dedicated to this and to our mama. Yeah, exactly right. So the absolute song of our childhood that we used to blare out in the car, much to dad's annoyance because he's a complete, <laughs> he's a complete classical music um, expert. But um, Yo, David, blare... you're so uncool. This is so great. <laughs> Exactly. But um, mum always used to blare out Stevie Wonder, I just called to say I love you. And I had a, I've had two crazy experiences with that song, actually. Um, obviously listened to it the whole way through my childhood. When mum and dad were dropping me off back at my dorm for the last time before they went back to England after they, when, when they were leaving me for the first time at boarding school in the States, it happened to come on the radio as we were walking through, as we were driving through the gates of the school, which triggered another huge rush of tears between <laughs> us all. Um, but also just a month or so ago, I was um, I was up at our factory and mum's um, stone is in a beautiful graveyard. In the pocket um, of the not, world where our family yeah, home was. Exactly. And um, I went to go and see her stone. And en route to go see her stone, I stopped off on, on the lane where we must have walked a thousand times up and down this lane it's about a mile out and it's a mile back um that looks out over the last Cotswold and it runs from the I front was, door of our house that yeah that used to run from the front door of our house to the next village um or the start of the the next village and it's an idyllic peaceful beautiful tiny Cotswold lane and I as I was I was on the phone actually to our commercial director when I was um when I was entering into the lane and I still had phone signal, but my phone cut out and it went back onto the radio station that my, um, that I had been listening to before I had made that call on my, um, on my car phone. And it went straight back onto Stevie Wonder. I just called to say, I love you. Happened to, happened to be on the radio at that time. And <laughs> I, looked up into the sky and I said, Oh mama And it it felt like she it felt like like she was playing it, so it has to be that. Absolutely. Here it is. <laughs> Not bloody dry in the house. Here it is for our heavenly, heavenly mum. Stevie Wonder, I just called to say I love you. No A
Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score, five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tyburn and produced by Joel Porter at dot dot dot. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.